This evening, I would have a study, Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Psalm 49 is classified as a wisdom psalm, and that is it provides instruction for life and death. More specifically, Psalm 49 gives us instructions regarding our wealth in life and death. I'm calling it the poverty of wealth. But before we look at the wisdom given to us in Psalm 49, I would have you turn to Luke 12. I know you're already there in Psalm 49. Keep your finger there, but join me also in Luke 12 as an introduction to the theme of Psalm 49. Let us read of the wisdom of Jesus' parable in Luke 12. A case could be made, in fact, that Jesus had Psalm 49 in mind when he spoke in Luke 12. And so we'll begin this evening in Luke 12, verse number 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And folks, this dispute is as old as time. In fact, we read of it even this morning from the book of Genesis, the struggle between Jacob and Esau in Genesis 27, two brothers battling for the birthrights and the blessing. And today, the, the distribution of an inheritance is a common point of conflict among families. In fact, even this morning, someone shared with me after the service of the bitter family feud in their extended family over the division of an estate. So in here, Luke chapter 12, verse 13, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now, it was common for a rabbi or for a teacher to render judgment in ethical and legal matters of dispute, yet Jesus had no interest in settling this matter. He wasn't being rude in the present, in this response, but he wanted to go deeper with the man. He wanted to, to go deeper in his judgment and, and address the heart issue at hand. And the heart issue at hand was the issue of covetousness and materialism. Therefore, verse 15, therefore Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he who lays up treasures, so is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, there is something here, something I'm gonna call the poverty of wealth. We may gain wealth in this life, but may remain bankrupt in our relationship before God. Psalm 49, I've written there at the top of your notes, Psalm 49 instructs us about the futility of fretting or fighting over this world's wealth. Why? Because the world is passing away and so are we. From Psalm 49, you can make your way there quickly. I prepared a message titled, The Poverty 
of wealth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God in heaven, we bow our heads and our hearts before you this evening. We come to you in Jesus' name as we approach your holy word, asking for the aid of your spirit to instruct us, not simply to understand what we read, but to obey what your spirit teaches us. God, you have blessed us abundantly. In the modern West, we are rich in in so many creature comforts and luxuries and goods. We have more than the heart could wish, but yet, Lord, there is so much that our heart still wishes. I pray that you would help us to, to have a proper perspective on our wealth and recognize ultimately we want to be rich toward you. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 49, and now this evening, Psalm 49. And let me begin reading from this wisdom psalm in verse number one. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. The poet of Psalm 49 turns preacher for us here in this case, and he speaks loud and clear for all the world to hear his message. Number one in your notes, if you're following the outline I prepared, number one, the cry or the call for the world to hear. The cry or the call for the world to hear. Perhaps you've heard a sermon at some point along the way and you've thought, that sermon was so good, I hope that my spouse was listening. Or you, that message was so good, I hope that my son or daughter was listening. That sermon was so good, I hope that that fellow Christian with all of those problems was listening to that message because they needed to hear that. Have you ever heard a a sermon like that? Perhaps one of mine, no? Okay, no one. You've heard a message and and you've said, this has got to get out, it's got to go viral. It needs to be printed and recorded and perpetuated because the truth of that message is so valuable The world needs to hear it. That's the case here in Psalm 49. This is a message from the poet-turned-preacher, the psalmist, for all the world to hear. You say, this isn't just for me. This isn't just for the other guy. It's for all peoples, all inhabitants of the world, you see in verse number one. But then we, we, we pause and we say, but no. If this message is a message about materialism, covetousness, materialism, wealth, then this isn't a message for everyone in the world. This is a message for those with lots of materials in the world. If this is a message for the rich of the world, this isn't for everyone. This is only for the rich of this world. But know this, that materialism isn't measured by how many materials one has. Materialism is measured by how many materials one wants. So this is, in fact, for us all. You see, I can be poor and materialistic. I can be rich and materialistic. If I'm poor and materialistic, I shop at a thrift store when things are on sale. If I'm rich and materialistic, I shop at the Ridgedale Mall, the Mall of America, and I pay retail. If I'm lazy and materialistic, I stay home and I shop on Amazon, right? (laughs) And we're all guilty of that. Because we're materialistic, we want just something more. And for that reason, the poet 
turned preacher, the psalmist calls the low and the high, the rich and the poor of the world, in verse number two, to hear his message as he speaks wisdom, verse three, so that everyone can gain understanding there at the end of verse number three. For after all, that is the goal of every preacher with every message or every sermon. I want everyone to hear, I want everyone to understand the truth that I'm I'm speaking. Now, we need to to define our terms here for a moment. There's a difference between wisdom and understanding. You, You see it there. Um, in verse three, my mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall give understanding, the difference between wisdom and understanding. But let me add a third category as well, and that is of knowledge. Knowledge is a matter of data. Knowledge is a matter of information. We live in the information age, and we can learn and we can know facts, more facts than any man has ever known before because of all of the data and the information we have. According to one source I read this week, 90% of the world's data was created in the last two years. And the article I read this past week claimed that every two years, the volume of data across the world doubles in size every two years. That's knowledge, the data points, the facts. Beyond knowledge, then, is understanding. Understanding is the interpretation of those facts. Understanding happens when we translate those facts into meaning. So important in the field of education. We simply don't want to instruct or teach facts to do an information dump on the minds of of young students, but rather we want them beyond mastering the facts to have a level of comprehension or understanding about those facts and how they interrelate to one another. So there's knowledge, there's understanding, and then there's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply that understanding of knowledge to one's life in any given circumstance. And when we lack wisdom, James tells us that we can go to God and we can ask him for wisdom. Lord, what do I do with what I know? What I've come to now understand, how do I apply this to my life circumstance? And he will give us wisdom. And so I contend that understanding is the bridge between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, the facts, information, the bridge of understanding to wisdom, the application of that to one's life. So let me give you an example of this. I know I have knowledge that driving a car around a hard turn at 70 miles an hour in the pouring rain with bald tires is dangerous because the facts of physics inform me that inertia will seek to move my vehicle in a straight line and I will fail to make the turn. That's knowledge. I understand, this is my understanding now, I understand the consequences of losing traction on that curve and crashing my car, it would be costly. I might wreck my car, I might get hurt, someone else might get hurt. My knowledge, my understanding, third then my wisdom would be, it would be wise for me to do what? To slow down on the curve of that road, or even better wisdom, perhaps to get a new set of tires, right? That would be smart, smart thing to do, so that I I don't wreck my, my car. 
And so what the preacher is doing here in this wisdom psalm is saying, I'm about to preach a message here that the whole world needs to hear. Low or high, rich or poor, everyone needs to hear this message. I'm going to speak wisdom. I'm going to give you understanding so that you can walk in wisdom in your life. Verse number four, the the poet turned preacher wants to speak of the matter in a, a dark saying is how my new King James renders it that he will put to music. You see it there in verse four. The dark saying doesn't mean sinister or evil. It means the, the message is a bit veiled like a, like a riddle. In fact the ESV renders verse four like this I will incline my ear to a proverb I will solve my riddle to the music of the liar. So, okay, what is the proverb or what is the riddle, the dark saying that the preacher is giving? I believe it's found in verse 12. It's then repeated again with some variation in verse number 20. Look at verse number 12. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, that's, that's a high status, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Look at verse 20. A man who is in higher, I'm, I'm in, in higher, in honor, I'm sorry, in honor, yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. And so the explanation of this proverb or this riddle is that the honorable man, the, the high man, the rich man from verse number two. In fact, if you have the New International Version, verse 12 and verse 20 describe this as a wealthy man. The honorable man or the high man is the wealthy man in verse 12 and 20 who doesn't understand the knowledge presented is like a dumb animal. So hear ye, hear ye, everyone, low and high, rich and poor, verse two. Money doesn't make a difference when you die. You die like an animal. Which leads us to number two. The counsel for the wealthy not to boast. Number one, the cry or the call for the world to hear. Number two, the counsel for the wealthy not to boast. Verse five. Psalm 49, verse number five, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. Okay, so in verse number five, the poet turned preacher, the psalmist is fearful that the wealthy many times oppress the poor. Now, let's be careful here. While this is not untrue, It's not always true. To say that it's always true that the wealthy always oppresses the poor is the ideology of Marxism or critical theory, those worldviews that that assert this threat with the categories of the the bourgeoisie or the proletariat, the, the rich and the poor. It's not always true that the wealthy oppress the poor. There are many wealthy that bless the poor. In fact, isn't that the point of philanthropy, right? The, the philanthropist, the, the wealthy who blesses the poor. The qualifier is here in verse number five. When iniquity at my heels surrounds me is my new King James in verse five. Or the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me is the ESV. Or the iniquity of my foes, the New American Standard. Or the wicked deceivers surround me is the New International Version. It, it's the Hebrew word, you ready for this? It's the Hebrew word for Jacob. 
It's the supplanter. It's the the deceiver, the usurper. So it isn't just about being rich. It's about exploiting one's wealth for personal gain against others like Jacob did. And so the, the poet turned preacher, the psalmist here, is acknowledging there are some who are wealthy who boast in their wealth and use it to abuse the poor. And of course, we're familiar with the corruption of the wealthy for political influence or in other cases, there are those who purchase their positions, there are those who have bribed themselves up or out of situations. Money is a great tool to accomplish a lot of things and the love of that money has has been the root of all different sorts of evil for people who are are wealthy, whether um, honorably or dishonorably that, that money is used. But, but here's the counsel for the wealthy. If you're wealthy, do not boast in your wealth because, letter A, life is brief. Life is brief, verse number seven. None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pits. Folks, your money can't save you or your brother. You can't escape death and decay or the pits. So take this counsel, wealthy person. Do not boast in your wealth. What did Jesus teach in his parable in Luke 12? Just a moment ago, we read of it. Fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. The Russian writer, Leo Tolstoy, uh, has a story. The story he wrote, How Much Land Does a Man Need, is the title of his story. It's about a man who keeps longing for more and more land. Finally, he strikes a bargain that for 1,000 rubles, He can have all the land that he can walk around in one day. But here's the catch. The catch is he must be back at the starting point before sundown or he loses his money and the land. What would you do? Well, in this case, in Tolstoy's story, the the man starts off early. As the day goes on, his greed drives him to keep going a bit further and a bit further and just to... To, to go around that next piece of land here and there and, 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 and such. And finally, he realizes that the sun is getting low. And so he turns toward the starting point and he picks up his pace. As the sun drops lower in the sky, the man starts running. He is sweating profusely. His heart is pounding. Just as the sun is setting, he sees the finish line, the starting line, where he began at the beginning of the day. He gives it everything he's got. He sprints up the hill and across the line just as the sun sets. He falls to the ground and blood spurts out of his mouth. He is dead. His servant digs a grave just long enough for him to lie in and buries him there. Tolstoy concludes Six feet from his head to his heels was all that he needed. And at some point, we run out of time. 
in trying to encircle all that we would otherwise want to claim for ourselves. And no matter how much we spend or how hard we try or how fast we run, we can't extend our life to even claim those things that we have identified. Life is brief. Look at verse number 10. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish or dies and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, this is the high, exalted man, the wealthy of the rich does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. And so if life is brief, letter A, letter B, death is certain. Death is certain. From my childhood, I have been an Apple computer user. I remember as a young boy when our family uh, gave up our Commodore 64, you remember this? For an Apple Macintosh computer. And that was a big purchase for our family, a big acquisition, and we were so excited. And from that day on, I was all things Apple. I've sold my soul to Apple computers since then in purchasing every new uh, gadget that comes out. But I, I suffered greatly in the, in, the, in the 1990s because of my love for all things Apple. Of course, in the 90s, um, Microsoft Windows was thriving. Apple computer was waning, nearly dying. That is and until my corporate hero, Steve Jobs returned back to the company that he founded, Apple Computer, and he saved the company by releasing the first colorful translucent iMac, the model that is now credited with saving Apple. And after that, of course, it was the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad, and and the rest is history. I've read Steve Jobs' biography. In 1978, at age 23, Jobs was worth over $1 million dollars that's equivalent to 14, or I'm sorry, $4.15 million in 2021. By age 25, his net worth grew to an estimated $250 million, equivalent to $745 million in 2021. By the end of his life, of course, Steve Jobs was worth billions. Today, Steve Jobs would be the richest man in the world with $360 billion at Apple's current market cap valuation. $360 billion. Now, for, for comparison, Elon Musk is worth $200 billion, depending on the day, right? But you understand that at Apple's current market cap, Steve Jobs would be much, much wealthier. But the point of all these numbers is really, is really meaningless because Steve Jobs is dead. He died when he was 56 years old. And all of his money couldn't save him. It's the very same conclusion that Solomon reached in Ecclesiastes 2 when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it also happens to me. It also happens to me. And why then was I more wise? Then I said in my heart, this is vanity. This is emptiness. For there is no more remembrance of the wise 
than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come, and how does a wise man die? How does a wise man die? As a fool, is what Solomon wrote. How does a rich man die? As a poor man dies. Life is brief. Death is certain. Look at verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. What does verse 13 mean? What we we just read in these previous verses describes the foolish and those who follow after the foolish, either ideologically or chronologically, the posterity in verse 13 may reference either the follower of the foolish or the descendants of the foolish is the posterity of the foolish. So verse 13 is telling us three things or or really telling us one thing in, in, in three steps. First, the foolish and those who follow after them know something. Here's the knowledge again. Here's what the the, the foolish and those who follow after them know. They know that rich people accumulate their wealth and leave their wealth to others. We learned that back in verse number 10 because that's the way it works in the world. And once again, we could cite Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. So number one, the foolish and those who follow them know that you're gonna leave your wealth to others. Secondly, The foolish and those who follow them understand something. That is, they have understanding. What do they understand? They understand that their wealth won't last forever, verse number 11. But that they will die like a beast, verse 12 and verse 20. And then thirdly, the foolish and those who follow after them need wisdom to behave differently than their foolish forefathers. And what does the poet turned preacher, the psalmist, say then at the end of verse 13? We have that notation, Selah. Stop and think about that. What you know, what you understand, how then do we bring that to bear upon our lives? Verse 14, like sheep, they're laid in the grave Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. This is number three, the case for the wise to learn. The case for the wise to learn. There is the cry or the call for the world to hear, the counsel for the wealthy not to boast. And now the case for the wise to learn and a case study, the case is presented in verse 14. The case study or the picture is of sheep. Now, sheep are, are those who follow a shepherd. However, in this case, the sheep in verse 14 are not following the Lord as their shepherd, but they're following after their wealth. And so those who, like sheep, follow after their wealth are not led home, but they're led to the grave. So even though the wealthy live in mansions now, when they die, their houses will be the grave, if you will. It reminds me of the images of Saddam Hussein's mansions that were occupied by the coalition forces in the Iraq war. You remember some years back, they were magnificent. I remember seeing the images on on television and then Saddam Hussein was captured, do you remember? In a hole, in a hole. And then there's verse 15. It says, but God. Bible commentator Derek Kidner calls us one of the mountaintops of the Old Testament hope. 
but God. Anytime you see God intervening or invading a circumstance, the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom to learn in this case is predicated upon these two little words at the beginning of verse 15, but God, verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me, Selah. And when this poet turned preacher, when the psalmist wrote the words, God will receive me, he used the very same Hebrew language that was used of God taking Enoch up to heaven. God will welcome me, translate me, and receive me home. Is there any doubt that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints didn't understand life after death? This, this psalm is a proof text that they very much understood the reality of life after life or life after after death. And it's the case for the wise to learn. Verse 16, verse 16, do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. He can't take it with him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see lights. A man who is in honor, high, exalted status, wealthy, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. Number four, the caution for winners not to lose. The caution for the winners not to lose. We are quick to separate the winners from the the losers. Winners are the good-looking, healthy, athletic, smart, popular, rich people. And then there's the rest of us, right? (laughs) Doesn't it just annoy you sometimes how some people seem to have all the luck? They do well in school. They're popular with others. They get the job promotion. They make the most money. They marry the the pretty girl, and they seem to always be successful, and then there's the rest of us. Except I married the pretty girl, so. (laughs) But other than that, you, you understand what I'm saying. Some people make it big, and it seems like they always win in life, but here's the caution. The caution for the winners is while you may be successful and while you may be wealthy and while you may be a winner in many areas of life, the caution is not to congratulate yourselves on winning in life like the rich fool who boasted in Luke 12, Jesus' parable. Hey, I've I've accumulated all of these things. I can take my ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You will die with the same amount as everyone else. And that's with nothing. Jesus asked in Mark chapter eight, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's the poverty of wealth and that's the caution for winners not to lose. So we know the truth. We understand its meaning. What then does wisdom demand of us? How do we bring this to bear upon our lives? Lives, Folks, there, there is nothing wrong with material wealth and I hope that God in his sweet providence prospers you materially. I hope that you gain and that he would entrust you with wealth because there's so much you can do with wealth. You can enjoy life 
with wealth. You can accomplish much in life because of it. You can give in this life because of it. It's a great tool. However, I hope that we know and that we understand there is a poverty of wealth that is expecting money to do what it cannot. This evening I know that this preacher is preaching to the choir. We understand these things. But be careful not to trust in uncertain riches. Be careful that your affection is not for the things of this life, but rather on things above. And may we walk in wisdom regarding our wealth. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus' parable in Luke 12. It's so instructive to us. Thank you, Lord, for this wisdom literature, this wisdom psalm, this message or or sermon from the poet, the psalmist. Lord, we're grateful for how you've blessed us materially in this life, and we seek to, to be stewards of those things for your glory. But Lord, we ultimately want to be rich toward God. May we lay up treasures in heaven above. May we seek those things above. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts from the love of money, which could be the root of many evil in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.